The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, the play-in tournament is almost done, baby. And we are this close to having a very full playoff schedule. Four teams already headed home. Two more are on their way. We also get into some news from around the league, including the Kuzma Dinwiddie beef. Actually, I think it's only two teams that have headed home and then two more. Are headed home. Uh, why Giannis almost retired early. And the latest on Damian Lillard. It's more of the same bullshit, but we're going to get into it because it's the news. Happy the playoffs are here, Nick, my man. So do me a favor. Drop that generic ass beat that should be Rihanna. It is the end of the season, and at this point... We're all pretty much playing hurt. Someone I met today, uh, an insider friend of show, Jake Fisher, told me I sound like I have been smoking two packs of cigarettes for the last two weeks at night. So um, sounds like my voice is starting to go on me. But the show continues. The show continues. Because we got some things to do. Let's start first. Uh, Before we break down on what happened the first playing games, I have a gripe to get off my chest. Uh, Hey, Adam Silver, can you use your hammer of justice uh, to officially make the playing games count as playoff games? Can we get some stats? Can those stats count for something? Because what most people don't know, that stats from playing games don't count towards the regular season. They don't count towards the playoffs. They're just lost. They're just gone. They count for nothing. They're gone forever. Even basketball reference, which I couldn't live one day without, doesn't even have play-in stats when you call up a player's season game log. So what do you have to do? You have to go into the individual games themselves. Do you remember when Jason Tatum put up 50 uh, on the Wizards in the 2020 play-in game? Good luck finding that. Good luck seeing that it was real. Jason Tatum's going to tell his son that. Uh, Deuce Tatum, when Deuce Tatum's like 10 years old, and then Deuce Tatum's going to be like, prove it to me. You can't. Do those stats count towards his career totals? Who the fuck knows? I don't know. 
fix this. Otherwise, people are going to think that the play-in game is an exhibition game because finding summer league stats, I think, is easier than finding stats for the play-in games. I digress. Fascinating things happened in the first play-in games. Mostly, they have to do with the teams that lost, though. So, okay, Miami. They were the number one seed in the East last year. Might not make the playoffs this year. The Pelicans, one of the most exciting teams coming into the season this year. They were, at one point this season, the best team in the West. They were number one in the West before Zion got hurt. We were all excited about what they would do. They took Phoenix to the brink last year. And you know what? They're going to watch the playoffs from the couch. 3-2-1 Cancun. So it goes. The Wolves were considered to be one of the best young hot teams. They made the move for Rudy Gobert so that they could win right now. And you know what they're doing? They are hoping upon all hope that they can they can beat the OKC Thunder tomorrow or tonight. And the Raptors. The Raptors were so exciting. The Raptors, everyone had these huge expectations for them. You have multiple players to play defense, and you know what you do? You get cooked by DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. You don't make the playoffs, and now you're rebuilding. All of these teams have had success recently, had high expectations, and now they're at the crossroads. You're going to probably either see roster rebuilds or coaching changes in, in all of those scenarios. That's the thing. That's the thing about expectations. If you perform ahead of schedule and then you take a step back, oftentimes you pay a price. People are like, what are we doing? What's wrong with Toronto? What's wrong with the Pelicans? It's like, I don't know, like C.J. McCollum tore his labrum. I don't know. His thumb also torn. Like, Brandon Ingram was insane. Like, Herb Jones can't shoot threes. Like, have you seen his three-point shot? It's a push shot. It's a 10-year-old girl's push shot, and probably even worse than that. What are we doing? And now we've got issues, right? On to the games and their implications. Hawks, 116-105 to the Heat. I thought there was no chance for the Atlanta Hawks. None. Hawks pulled a major upset to the fact that all 17 ESPN commenters picked the Heat to beat him. DeJounte Murray tweeted the joke's on you when he heard this because the reality is the joke is on all of us. It wasn't because we underestimated the Hawks. It was because we overestimated the Heat. The Heat fucking suck. Okay? We're going to talk a little bit later about how Brian Windhorst thinks that Damian Lillard's going to the Heat. And to that end, I say for who? For who? Who do we want? Who do the Blazers want? No one. No one on that godforsaken team. There is real trouble brewing in Miami. And it might end up that the roster altogether just disintegrates. Eric Spolstra might end up having to find a new job. I, I was asked before the BetMGM show, my betting show, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being 0 and 10 being very confident, how confident are you that the Hawks can pull up an upset against the Heat? And I said 1. I said 1. There's no chance. The Hawks suck. The Heat missed 15 layups, I think. It was like Saran Wrap was around the rim. You had Quinn Snyder coaching his little ass off out there. You had Spo looking shook. They out-rebounded the Miami Heat by a gajillion. I think Clint Capella had 21 rebounds. The high-low action between uh, Bam on Bam and Lowry. It was like mouse in the house, mouse in the house. It was one of those scenarios where you're like, oh, yeah, like, it's never really close. Heat can make a couple of runs, and Atlanta just keeps extending said lead. You could see the writing on the wall as it went on. You could see almost the future of the two teams in front of you playing, right? You're like, oh, 
Like, actually, the future's kind of bright for the Hawks. I can see what they're trying to do. Like, oh, I see guys moving without the basketball. I see it. You see Miami, and you're like, oh, God, Miami, I think, is done. Kyle Lowry, where has he been? Came out of retirement for this game. He played, I think he played all the minutes. I think he went on a fast for this. He had over 30. It did not matter. Trey played well. DeJounte played well. On Yeka Akongu was incredible. Five for six, 12 points, 20 minutes, plus seven. Sadiq Bey was everywhere. That team looked good. It was really cool, too, to see how uh, the Hawks moved without the ball. This is exactly the type of offense that Quinn Snyder wanted to run in, uh, in Utah. It's just, like, so simple, a change. I don't know. Is it weird to say that, like, when you move without the basketball, when – um, and just continue to do it and pass to those people who are moving that it's, like, hard to get open shots. It's weird that people just don't do that. They just stand around the perimeter and hope that they're going to get open. It's, like, very obvious and simple that, hey, when you don't have the ball, why don't you cut? Cut to the lane, cut away from the lane, literally instrument some sort of motion offense, and then pass to the guys that are moving. Like, that's that's what it was. Sadiq Bay was everywhere, looking like Gary Payton II, cutting to the basket, deflecting balls, hitting timely threes. Like, oh, wow, like Sadiq Bay, get him out of Detroit, get him with a real coach, and Jesus Christ, like Sadiq Bay's pretty good. Now the Hawks take on the Celtics, and I'll just say this. Uh, the Hawks already have dismantled one franchise in the East. You better watch out or Jalen Brown's going to go somewhere else. I'm not saying that the Hawks have a chance to beat the Celtics. I'm just saying that they're not going to roll over, and Quinn Snyder's for real. Quinn Snyder is coaching this team much better than Lloyd Pierce or Nate McMillan ever did. This is what a real coach looks like. Uh, let's see how Rob Williams looks because uh, Capella and Okongwu are coming for him. If his knee isn't right, We'll have to see. I'm really excited, too, to see Trey Young versus Marcus Smart. Trey averages 26, 8, and 3 against Boston in his career. He's already had 31, 4, and 11 this year. And then outside of that, in Miami, the nail's in the coffin. They're already dead. The Bulls are going to slice them and dice them and eat them for breakfast. No chance. It's time for South Beach to go on vacation. It's been an incredible year. An incredibly bad one, and it's time for them to make some choices. Moving forward, Lakers 108, Wolves 102. Oh, my God. What was that game? That game stunk. It was the most, it was the most dramatic and bad fourth quarter I think I've ever seen. I, I think that the Wolves put up 12 points in the fourth quarter. LeBron James was a freak. He played 45 out of the 53 minutes, including all of overtime. AD chipped in. Oh, yeah, and by the way, LeBron had 30, 10, and 6 with a steal and two blocks. Anthony Davis was really good, 24, 15, and 5. He had two steals, three blocks. And listen, the problem for Minnesota and for Carl Anthony Towns is that Carl Anthony Towns is just not that guy. You can't have him be the tone setter. You just can't because when he's setting the tone, he's fouling guys and getting into trouble. He had, I think, two fouls in, like, Two minutes. All of a sudden, he's sitting on the bench because he's got three fouls in the first half or something like that. You have to figure out a way to stay on the floor, Carl Anthony Towns. That's the point. You have no center. Rudy Gobert is nowhere to be found. He's been sent away from the team, jettisoned, and that's all you have is you. 
It's it's crazy. The Wolves still had a chance to win. Even with all that, they still had a chance to win. Mike Conley is really good. You see why they brought him in. Uh, Anthony Edwards was, again, nothing. He was dealing with a shoulder issue. I think he was 0 for 9 from 3. Continued to chuck. Wasn't aggressive. Uh, didn't use his athleticism at all. It was just one of those scenarios where you're wondering, where is the guy that shows up in these big moments? Will... The fighting Frenchman, ha ha, Rudy Gobert, aha, bonjour, Rudy. Will he be a factor in this next game? Uh, we'll have to see. As for the Lakers, man, you got to give them a gritty win for that. They look like they were on the ropes. They look like they were dead. And now they take on a Memphis team without Steven Adams, uh, without Brandon Clark, and a Jaron Jackson, who's just basically like Carl Anthony Towns, a guy who's a undersized five who should really play four who's always in foul trouble and the backup is Xavier Tillman so it's not really a great scenario is Anthony Davis going to eat these boys for lunch probably as long as Anthony Davis is healthy the Lakers should win this series Adilo was a massive disappointment against the Grizzlies last year in the playoffs how will he redeem himself we're going to have to see. But he's up for a contract, and if he doesn't play well in the playoffs, I don't know that the Lakers want to extend him. To me, the, the X factor is Dennis Schroeder. He was incredible in that game against the, uh, the T-Wolves. <laughs> Everywhere. He was pretty much their only guy that you could rely on to hit timely shots. He was deflecting balls. He was defensively everywhere. It's going to be interesting. It's probably the best matchup for the Lakers that they could ask for. Because why? Because... The Grizzlies can't shoot threes, and neither can the Lakers. That's pretty much it. You saw Darvin Ham go away from all the guys that he traded for, which I thought was hilarious. They were all sitting their asses on the bench, and it was just the normies. Austin Reeves, we need to have a big series for them. If there is an upset in the first round that happens, I think that this is it right here. Moving forward, Bulls 109, Raptors 105. What a fucking game that was. Raptors get out to a massive lead. Credit to the Bulls. They do not give up. They turn their season around. Everyone thought that they were dead. All they did was pick up, it was just Pat Beverly, wasn't it? It was just him. All of a sudden, they're one of the better teams in the East since the trade deadline. This team is now dangerous. They upset a Raptors team that most people thought would have very little problem winning this game. I think the Raptors closed as six-and-a-half-point favorites. Midway through the third, the Raptors were up 15 points, and then the Bulls just locked in. Oh, my God. You can't let Zach Levine slice you like a hot knife through butter. I think he had, what, 14? 14 in the third quarter? You can't, you, I mean, you can't do that. You cannot do that. That's the problem with fucking around with a team with a couple of superstars and a couple of gritty defensive dudes. Levine had almost 40. at 39 points. DeRozan had 23. You add those two things together, and that's hard to, to compete with. They missed 18 of 36 free throws. Why? What happened? Well, DeMar DeRozan brought his 9-year-old daughter there, and she screamed blood-curdling bloody murder uh, in the 6, in Toronto. He brought her to Toronto so that she could scream murder every time that a, a Raptor went to the free throw line. Now it's a long offseason for the Raptors. Just like Kyle Anderson said, you've got a lot of decisions to make during the summer. Nick Nurse probably gone. Pascal maybe gone. OG maybe gone. Fred Van Fleet for sure gone. Gary Trent probably gone. So we could have just the Scotty Barnes summer. And that's it. Uh, it might just be a rebuilding team and a bunch of draft picks. OKC 123. 
New Orleans Pelicans 118. Man. Man, oh man, was that a good one. OKC's a gritty little fun team, aren't they? Lou Dort was incredible. He was hitting threes upon threes. He was making it rain. The the Pelicans were containing Shea, and you had to say to yourself, at some point he's going to be able to break through. And you know what? Uh, Giddy and Dort went off. 30 went, 31 for Giddy, 27 for Dort, and then Shea still figured out a way to get 30. A quiet 30, but man. And he didn't have a free throw in the first half. Starting five for OKC, all under the age of 23. All five played 32 minutes or more. With Shea, Giddy, Dort all playing an average of 40 minutes, scoring 88 points combined. Look out. OKC now moves to play the Wolves. And this is a matchup nightmare for the Wolves. Denver awaits. Both OKC and Minnesota could be trouble for that team in different ways. We're going to find out how good Denver is soon enough. We got some tea, some news popping from around the league. And it is some hot, hot tea. Spencer Dinwiddie. This is just so great. I just love it so much. It was just, I have been thinking about it and talking about it to friends all day. Guard for the Brooklyn Nets, Spencer Dinwiddie, who also used to be a guard for the Brooklyn Nets and was traded. So Kyle Kuzma, former Laker wing, champion, currently exiled in Washington with the Wizards, have officially reignited their beef. Did you see this? There is, there's a lot to get into, right? I'm going to give you my thoughts. I'm going to explain it. But for those who don't remember, let's give you a little backstory. So Dinwiddie and Kuz were teammates, right? For a hot second. Well, because Dinwiddie was added to the Wizards when Russell Westbrook asked to be traded, right? He was included in that like 15 person trade and then moves to Washington. Dinwiddie was just coming off of ACL surgery, and the Wizards needed a point guard. And during his very short tenure, because he was traded from the Wizards to Dallas for Kristaps Porzingis, it was the Kristaps Porzingis trade. Uh, so he was there for like a few months. And apparently in those few months, Dinwiddie and Kuz fucking hated each other. Pretty much did not vibe at all. Dinwiddie was traded before the season finished. Uh, and then when the Mavs played the Wizards, before Spence was later included in the Kyrie trade, back to Brooklyn, Spencer decided he was going to take a low-key shot at the Wizards franchise. And, if you're in the know, took an under-the-radar shot at Kuzma. This is what he said. <laughs> They're not playing for nothing for real. For them, it's just a showcase. They're over there just trying to get paid, not trying to play winning basketball. Oh, my God. Kuzma took to Twitter and then said, funny thing is they, the Mavs, don't play winning basketball either. Game on. Remember, Kuzma thinks he's, like, different because he already won a ring. He thinks that whatever he's going through and doing does not apply because he's already won. So he feels like he sealed his legacy. So then Spencer Dimwitty goes on FanDuel TV, and they're like, hey, did you see that Kuzma's comments about you? How come you didn't, like, clap back? And he's like, yeah, I wanted to respond to that Kuzma tweet, 
But my agent told me to stand down, that we had bigger fish to fry, things to do, get to the playoffs, you know. Now that I'm not in that environment, I'm in the playoffs, and he's not. Oh, boy. This, of course, was after the Nets made the six seed. The Wizards failed to make the play-in tournament. So then Spence took it even further and decided to say the quiet part out loud. Life, fame, all that stuff that we could see that, you know, his priorities tend to vary, right? Like, that's why dressed the way he does. He, you know, approaches basketball the way he does, the comments he makes. Um, and like I said with the Draymond quote, insecurity is loud. Like, you, you know that you're there, you know, shooting shots to try to get a contract. You're probably not uh, even a third star really on a good team because if you were, the Lakers would have kept you, right? Part of the reason you left was to try to make more money. Like, these are all things that are, are facts. And so at the end of my career, one thing that I want to be known, besides a guy that did whatever it took to win in whatever spot he was at, is a guy that was also very honest. And so, like, my complete response to, you know, coups and all that other stuff, to address it directly, I mean, I played with the guy. You know what I mean? We, we know what the priorities were. And, you know, a lot of times people thought I was talking about Brad or whatever, anything like that. I, I look at Brad in the same light as, like, a dame. I think he's loyal to D.C. I think, you know, probably on a championship team, he's probably got to be paired with, like, a Giannis. He's probably 1B. Um, which is no shot. I know on a championship team, you know, I'm probably the, the third guy, kind of like a Drew Holiday with a Chris Middleton and, you know, Giannis or whatever. Um, I'm very secure with who I am in my career. Um, I know on a really good team, I can be a number two, kind of like we are right here with the Brooklyn Nets. We got Mikael, we got me, we're still a playoff team. We're able to keep the ship right. Um, but in D.C., if you got three max dudes, Porzingis, Brad, and Kuz, like how you miss the playoff? Like it doesn't, none of these things make sense. You know what I'm saying? Unless your priorities aren't in order. Unless your priorities aren't in order. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He he absolutely ethers Kyle Kuzma in the span of three minutes with straight facts. So then, of course, because Kyle Kuzma didn't have a place to talk on FanDuel TV, which would have been incredible, uh, he goes apeshit on Twitter. And he says, the Wizards and I have so much real estate on Din Shitty Island. This guy got signed by a team for 60 mils and was traded before the season was over. What in the world have you won in this league? You've been bounced around like a basketball, my boy. Kuzma, you can thank Kyrie and KD for spearheading the 34 wins before the All-Star break. You're 11 and 13 after the break for your playoffs. Oh, you think you're a second option? More like a second point guard, my man. I watched you for two months at the end of your Wizards tenure, being the second option, averaging 8-4-4. Four, and four. Sounds good, but I'm glad you're hooping now. Last but not least, the only way you'll ever be worth your contract is if the NBA finally gives you your wish of being paid in crypto. Check the markets. Downward arrow. My lord, did that escalate quickly. So, of course, today... Uh, Spence responded and he said, did you see Kuzma's tweet? The funny part about it is that there are a lot of contradictions. He resorted to name calling, din shitty, things like that, which I haven't heard since I was probably 10 years old, things of that nature. I think at the end of the day, the biggest piece here was like a theory from 8 Mile, the way Eminem approached the final battle. If you approach it with the truth, what do you have to hide? There's nothing there, right? So that's probably the last time I'll address because I want to focus on Philly, the team, and what we're doing. But at the end of the day, I spoke truth, and I got rebutted with a 10-year-old insult. He said, what have you done in this league? 
If we're going to talk about my career and the things that I've done that are unique and possibly different, I led a team to the playoffs when their max players were hurt back in 2020, averaging over 20 a game. So I won a lot of games there. I've been to the Western Conference Finals with Luka and the Mavs, been to the playoffs every year for the last five or six years. And then on top of that, I would say, people are blessed to be in situations. We don't get mad at Rick Fox for winning a championship with Kobe and Shaq. Like some people are blessed, and that's great, but we can't act like Rick Fox led them to a championship. Let's not do that. God damn. Real quick, Rick Fox and Kyle Kuzma averaged the same amount of points, 10, in the playoffs on those championship teams for the Lakers. That's incredible. So now that you're caught up, why is it like this between them? Uh, here's what I've gathered, and here's what I believe. Spencer Dinwiddie is what I call a tree shaker. He comes to situations, and he assesses. He asks questions when things are not operating properly. The Washington Wizards do not, as you guys can see, operate properly. They don't make the playoffs. Uh, They're not a very good franchise, and they've kind of been sitting there in the middle of the doldrums for a very long time. The Wizards are not the most organized winning franchise in the NBA. Spence got there with, I think, Baby Holiday. I believe it was Justin or Aaron. I think it was Aaron Holiday. And they were like, yo, this place is fucked up. Can we all get some roles? Can we figure out what our roles are? Hey, like, I don't even care what my role is. Just can we get one? And not in Washington, my boys. No, we don't have a winning culture here. You don't get roles. You don't get organization. You don't get direction. You just go out there and hoop. We're going to win 32 games this year, and we're going to be in the lottery, and we're going to pick up, I don't know, some random kid, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. Kuzma didn't want roles. What did he want? Kyle Kuzma wanted to hit shots. Kyle Kuzma wanted to take shots to the tune of 25 of them a game. First to be a fashion icon, and second to Chuck. So much that Beal and his other teammates were regularly pissed at him for ball hogging. And Rui Hachimura was supposed to be the guy, but Rui Hachimura had his own mental health issues, and they couldn't build around Rui. So what do they do? They said, I guess we'll take this Kuz guy. Kuz got mad at Spencer Dinwiddie, from what I can gather, did some snake stuff, started spreading rumors to the media like Kevin O'Connor. And before you knew it, Kevin O'Connor wrote, the Wizards want to move Dinwiddie. Because he looks like a shell of himself. And his teammates don't want him here. Holy shit. Shell of himself? I am no sleuth. I am no Inspector Gadget. But it does feel like the organization and the people who were at a deficit by accountability wanted to basically get the tree shaker gone so they besmirched his name. So the comments made from the Wizards, pretty bad. Pretty bad. Could have damaged his entire reputation. Could have cost him his career. Damn near ruined his career. If it wasn't for his time for the Dallas, with the Dallas Mavericks, he might not have gotten a real opportunity. And I get that Spencer can sometimes say some crazy shit. And I get that he can be his own worst enemy sometimes. We all can be. He recently said he has the petty side. He takes joy in the Mavericks collapsing because he has friends on the team. And you know what? They traded him. And he didn't want to be traded. Back to Coos. I'm not sure, though, that Kuz is an honest guy. Does Kuz want to win? Does Kuz want to get paid? Does Kuz want to be the man? Well, he recently discussed this when he was talking about free agency. Here's what he said. It's not about the money. I'm going to get paid regardless of where I go. Here in D.C. too. But it's about where I work every day and where I can be the best version of myself. 
AKA where I can chuck the most amount of shots that I possibly can. I can wear crazy outfits in the tunnel and I can be the guy. So good luck, Coos. Good luck in Detroit. Good luck in Indiana. Good luck in D.C. Good luck on a place where winning is not the first and foremost issue or priority. You'll make your money. You'll chill. You'll look good. And you'll take 18 shots a game. And here's the thing that people won't talk about is that these rivalries have two sides, right? One with the most social clout, Coos, and Spencer Dinwiddie, who's kind of a weirdo. Everybody wants to take Coos' side because Coos has a huge following, yada, yada, yada. But eventually the truth comes out. And the question that I have is, if Dinwiddie was such a bad teammate and such a shell of himself, like why would Brooklyn want him back? Why would they trade for him? Again, why would they ask for him to come back in that trade? Why would Coach Vaughn speak so highly and reverently about Dinwiddie's leadership? Why can't you find anyone in Dallas who will say anything but good things about Spencer Dinwiddie? Why is it the only place that has labeled him some sort of malcontent, some sort of cancer, some sort of shell of himself, is the one of the worst franchises in modern NBA memory? Why? Like, think about it. Think about who's really at fault. Think about what's really going on. I'm telling you. If it was like San Antonio who came out and said Spencer Dinwiddie was a cancer and he's a shell of himself, or like Miami, you'd be like, okay, I get it. When Sam Presti's out here saying, yeah, we had trouble communicating with this guy, I would sit up and listen. But when it's the Wizards, the Wizards, and it's Kuzma, come on now. Side-eye. I'm giving you the side-eye. I am skeptical. People see through it. As Barkley said, there's a reason most of the same teams are in the lottery year in and year out. It's a culture thing. And when someone comes in and tries to shake the branches and try to change the culture... That toxic culture comes for you because they don't want people who point out problems. If you point out problems, you're the problem. And now Spencer Dinwiddie gets that and hopefully has learned from that too. Like I, everybody's got stressful lives. I've got a stressful life. You've got a stressful life. Then you realize that your favorite NBA player probably feels and has that same stress, right? Only multiplied by 10,000, 2,000. The pressure of being Giannis or being a pro basketball player got so bad that Giannis Antetokounmpo, one of the nicest guys in the NBA, recently told Lori Nickel of the Milwaukee Sentinel Journal, that he nearly gave it all up. That he nearly retired. Excuse me? What'd you say? He retired? Yes. The article explains it like this. Being Giannis means something he never envisioned when he became the best player in the NBA. Being Giannis is a spectacle. It's noisy. It's an approach. A wave. A hello. A camera in his face. It's someone on the side asking for a moment of his time when he doesn't have a moment to spare. He's always courteous and polite and still wildly approachable. Giannis himself was more succinct. Everybody, no matter where I am, everybody is watching me. I don't think I have the time to turn it off and be myself, kind of just be me. And all of that, the stress of being Giannis, led him to almost quit the game in 2020 during the bubble. Yeah, Giannis almost retired before he got started. In 2020, I was ready to walk away from the game. I had that conversation with the front office, he says. Can you imagine that conversation with GM John Hurst? It's like, ring, 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 ring. 
Hey, John, uh, Giannis on line one. Oh, hey, Giannis. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, hey, John, love you. Uh, I really love the Bucks. It's, it's so great to be here in Milwaukee. But uh, I am retiring. Uh, my father has passed away, and I am hanging up my sneakers. I think I'm going to retire. Giannis Antetokounmpo, MVP, Giannis, almost retired. Has to be maybe one of the most terrifying conversations that a GM could have. It would be like if LeBron in the middle of his prime retired. Embiid retired. Probably even worse than that. If you polled 100 NBA executives and asked them to name one guy that would actually retire in the middle of their prime, probably Giannis. I bet they would all say him. And get this. He had the conversation after signing his extension. Naturally, the Bucks were like, hey, you know that like you just signed one of the largest contracts in NBA history, right? And he was like, yeah, but you can just take that money and shove it in your ass. I, I don't care about that. I care about joy. I'm a joyful person. My father didn't have nothing. He had us. He was the richest person on earth because he had his kids. He had this beautiful family. He had nothing. This, to me, doesn't mean nothing. Also, Giannis counts as Oreos. I bet he doesn't spend any of his money. All he needed was one contract, and he's good. If he doesn't have joy for the game anymore, he's going to hang it up. The level of panic this must have caused the Bucks would have been immense. You just, you just signed him to a Supermax deal, and he's already ready to retire. What are we talking about here? Are we serious? Are, what's happening? So how did we end up with Giannis actually winning a title and staying in Milwaukee? One word, therapy. Giannis went to therapy. How did he get to therapy? Apparently, he's this self-admitted, stubborn, proud guy. Well, he got the idea from uh, Chex Notes. Kevin Love. Kevin Love, who came out in 2018 with his own mental health struggles and helped to destigmatize mental health struggles for the entire league, including Giannis, was so inspired by Kevin that he decided to seek help himself. With the encouragement of his family, he started talking to someone. Apparently, it helped a lot. He found someone who... He says, put me in a place to appreciate all of the things that I have that comes with being who I am, to be okay with myself, no matter what the outcome of the, is of the game. I understand that I can't control that. I can only control my effort, how hard I work, how I try to inspire people from what I do. Michael Phelps, Naomi Osaka, DeMar DeRozan, Brandon Marshall, a lot of great athletes have sell, sought help for their mental health. So Giannis, Giannis knew he wasn't alone, but the best part of it is that he sought out Kevin Love to tell him that Kevin Love was so impactful about going out into the public sphere and telling everyone how important mental health was. He said, I talked to Kevin and I told him how he inspired me to open up and help me to the kind of better myself. And he was literally tearing up when I told him that. That's crazy. The Milwaukee Bucks should probably give Kevin Love a ring. Hey, if it wasn't for Kevin Love, Giannis would probably be on a beach somewhere in Greece eating French fries or Chick-fil-A or whatever it is. Like, that's crazy. And now Giannis has his own foundation that gives access to mental health counseling for people who don't or are not able to afford it. From walking away from one of the biggest contracts in NBA history to now leading the charge for getting people who can't afford mental health care that they need while still playing basketball. Wow, what a winding road for Giannis. On a personal note, uh, I know what it's like to be a little overwhelmed myself. So I would encourage everyone to go to therapy. 
It's done wonders for me, so many others that I know. So you don't have to face your stress alone. If you have the ability to do it, do it. And if you don't, go to Giannis's foundation because he, uh, he's helping folks out again. Moving on. Man, here we go again. Dame, 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 Dame. Why do you do it to us, Dame? Why does Dame continue to toy with the Portland Trailblazer fans? I don't know. I'm tired of it. I'm getting texts from Shams people because Sham thinks he's right that Dame's not playing in a Portland Trailblazers uniform again. I'm so tired of my guy Shams rubbing my face and the fact that Damian Lillard might be leaving this team. So he went on Stephen A's world last night, which he should not have done because Stephen A put the screws to him. And he asked them the questions that everyone wants to know. They know how important it is to right. just, you know, be on a competitive team on a on a level where we can, you know, make a run in the playoffs. And uh, you know, that just that just has to happen. You know, I think we is all that, know that. Is that your way of saying the Portland Trailblazers are on the clock? They gotta show a level of urgency or else? I mean, I ain't go I'm not even gonna it ain't a threat. I'm not right. you know, I ain't gonna say I'm putting them on the clock. I'm just saying, you know, if those things can't be done. You know, if we can't do something significant like that, then you know we won't we won't have a chance to, right? To you know compete on that level, and then not only will I have a decision to make, but I think the organization will too, because at that point it's like, right. you know, are you going to go young or are we going to get something done? I think we just mm -hmm. kind of been on it with you know fully committing to right. to either one, and I just think you know we at that point now where everybody. Everybody wants to win. You know, they, right. they believe that I deserve that opportunity. Wow. Um, yes. Swing for the fences, Portland, because otherwise it's like, what are we doing? Damian Lillard needs a chance to compete. In order to do that, you're going to need to swing. You need to make sure we get pieces that make sense. Otherwise, he's going to go somewhere else. I get it. That's been the approach. It's really hard to get stars, though. It's really hard for stars to come to Portland. You only have so many pieces that you can trade. You only have so many draft picks that you can trade. So unless it's Victor Wambayama or Scoot Henderson, it's going to be really hard to get Jalen Brown. It's going to be really hard to get Pascal Siakam. It's going to be really hard to surround Dame with guys who can play defense on the wing. I am so officially tired of talking about this. I'm so – like, just leave. Can you just leave? This feels like when uh, you're with somebody for a really long time and it's like, hey – I know that I've said I've wanted kids, and, like, you've said you'll think about it, but I'm 34, and, like, at some point, I'm not going to be able to have kids anymore. So if you don't want them, we got to kind of figure out whether that makes sense for me or you, because neither one of us are going to be happy if we're not on the same page. And now Brian Windhorst is pitching that Dame is going to go to Miami, and that trash-ass roster has enough trash ass pieces for portland to trade dame they don't they don't you like in, in order to get dame you're gonna have to give me bam out of bile you're gonna have to give me tyler hero or you're gonna have to give me jimmy butler and bam and then dame's not gonna go to miami for no state income tax just to go to the same whack-ass situation he's been in no chance i'm out on that dame's either going or he's not i'm i'm tired it um he's not going anywhere just lock it book it write it down i'm done with this I'm not talking about it ever again until he gets traded let's move on um john morant has countersued the teenage hooper he got into an altercation with this past summer uh the reason josh holloway the teenager who sued him due to the fight 
uh, has damaged his reputation and the teen throwing a basketball at him could have been career ending. Pause, 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 pause. Career ending? A basketball thrown at John Morant's head could have been career ending? A ball check. Literally, a ball check. An air inflated rubber ball at jaw could have been career. What are we doing here? What are we doing? Jaw, jaw, jaw. The deeper substance of the suit is that Jaw claims that Holloway lied to the cops about Jaw bringing a gun into the altercation and that Holloway leaked details in violation of a court order. It's all too much for me. All of this Jaw stuff needs to go away. I want one month to go without a Jaw drama. Even the Washington Post just recently dropped something that I didn't even talk about, about Jaw's summer of discontent, and they discovered that in addition to the multiple incidents being reported, that the local police buried all of these accounts, they didn't interview any of the people, they, they, they concluded that multiple departments failed to ask basic questions, interview key witnesses, didn't follow up with alleged victims, like, it's bad stuff. It's bad stuff with Jaw. Hopefully Adam Silver put the fear of God into him, but let's face facts. Jaw needs a good long playoff run for no other reason than it will shorten his offseason and all the time that he has to get into shenanigans. What do they say? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. We got to get Jaw out of trouble. That's all the time that we have for the episode of the Heat Check. Check back Monday. We are going to be on the road. Do not forget to check the feed. As an aside, I will be from the West Coast. We will be out there for the first four games of our dubs versus the Kings. Check the feed. Please follow the Heat Check. The playoffs are here. Download, subscribe, tell your friends. Follow us on social at, at this Heat Check and at Trista Crick on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter because we never sleep. <laughs>